and the cops drive by and they see him in there, you know, and so they pull up behind him, walk up, shine a flash, flash, flashlight in there, and there my dad is high centered on his old gal. And and the, and the cop says, sir, do you realize you're in a public graveyard? And he said, yes, sir. I'm just burying a stiff. <laughs> so anyway, the cop started laughing. He goes, well, what are you going to do? Get the hell out of here. Hi, I'm Gary LeFew, and welcome to Trouble Expected. Now, allow me to introduce myself. Uh, for you that don't know me, I am a uh, Hall of Fame world champion bull rider uh, for 20 years. Uh, the good side of that job was I only worked eight seconds a day. The downside was every day I had an 1,800-pound Mattisale bull waiting for me when I went to work. So uh, it was kind of a game. It wasn't a game for the faint of heart. Um, Anyway, I had a great career in bull riding, and uh, late in my career, I decided to try my hand at acting in television commercials. Um, the great side of that job was that uh, your average commercial in those days played somewhere between ten dollars and $50,000, uh, and the downside was every actor in town was trying to get the job, so um, and you know, it really wasn't what you looked like, because when you went on an interview, damn near everybody in there looked just like you. So it was a matter I kind of learned early on that it's it's not what you look like, it's the energy radiating out of you that gets you work. That's why they call successful actor, actor stars. And, uh, you know, I've been a star in bull riding, so why not be a star in, in acting? And uh, that first year I did 13 national commercials. I don't think I'd ever see another broke day. And I did about a, somewhere between 150 and 200 in my career. Uh, later on, I went into broadcasting. We did, uh, me and Bob Tallman called the action for the first Bull Riders only. And uh, for seven years, um, that's what I did. I was a broadcaster. I was still doing television commercials. And then I started a bull riding school. And uh, since I started that bull riding school, I think uh, my students have um, won a total of 25 world championships so, and counting. So we're still, we're still turning out champions and uh, and, and, and again, this game is, is not all about the mechanics, which mechanics are very important, but it's, it's a mental game. I mean, when you've got an 1800 pound bull waiting for you out there, uh, if you don't have your mind right, uh, you're going to get your ass kicked. And, and bull riding is kind of a metaphor for life. You know, it's like, you know, you can, uh, you can over, overthink everything, you know, and, and uh, it's a matter of, uh, you know, in bull riding, you rehearse over and over and over again, all the moves, all the moves. And, uh, what I found on early on was uh, they have a thing called role modeling. So if you want to, you want to be the best bull rider around, then you find the best bull rider and you just copy them. And that's how I've taught my students for years is I show them how the greatest in the game do it. And then I put drills together. Everything's about drills. You have to drill over and over and over again to you to get everything in your unconscious side of your mind. And then you just go do it. Now, later on, I, 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 I got a job uh, working for David Miltz's genius writer for the show Deadwood. And uh, he, he hired me as a consultant. And uh, every day I'd go out there and write. It was like uh, three and a half years of just pure fun going into this, this old acting uh, or this stage setup uh, like it was in 1800s in uh, Deadwood, South Dakota. Uh, just an incredible experience and, uh, and a great writing experience. But looking back over my career, uh, one of the one of the probably the, the funnest things about my career was early on in, you know, from uh, from 1963 when I got on my first bull to up until now, 
I've met some of the the most incredible characters in this game that you can imagine, you know, and and I and I've uh, luckily written down all these funny stories about all these guys because they they were just truly characters, and uh, and 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 uh, you know so you know I'm going to tell you I'm going to you know not only be telling you stories about these guys but I'm also going to be you know. Uh, interviewing people because I'm really known for positive thinking and and uh, and getting people uh to to kind of bring the best out of themselves to get on that other side of the mind how to how to uh you know to achieve greatness you know because greatness comes from you know from the from the <laughs> it's right between your ears and uh, you know we've had a lot of luck doing that because as, as a bull riding instructor you know is is uh, when you got a student going out there to to ride a bull every day and there's a 1800 pound Mattis Hill bull out there waiting oh, you got to have your mind right and and we've had a lot of luck you know now he's teaching the great mechanics but also teach them how to how to get their mind right also because we had so much time on our hands when we was when we was rodeoing um we got into a lot of mischief and and uh and we and we, and we also pulled a lot of practical jokes on each other and and today I'm going to tell you a little story about uh, a really really good friend of mine uh you know, we rodeoed for years together. Uh, you know, he was an all-American uh, football player. I mean, he was this, this big, stout guy that was just, I mean, you know, when you played football, you damn sure didn't want to be in front of that guy. But a, but a really good bull rider and, uh, and a great guy. But uh, there again, he was always pulling practical jokes on me, and so I was always trying to get back at him, you know. So, uh, you know, uh, and, and that's another thing about this uh, this podcast is probably not going to be for your little kids because you know retelling stories about these uh, these guys it's hard not to to tell without without uh, some foul language you know which is was part of what was going on you know so to to tell the story properly uh, probably not for your young kids you know but uh, you know for you adults it's uh, damn sure yeah I think you'll enjoy it. Anyway, Dave was uh, as big and tough as he was. He was a little bit of a hypochondriac, and uh, you know he's always thought he had this wrong with him, hard that wrong with him, you know. And, and uh, somewhere along the line, you know, the the thing about rodeoing is there's a lot of distractions. You know, there's uh, it's kind of like being a rock star. In every town you go into, there's uh, uh, you know, there's uh, the, the girls loved us, the guys hated us. You know that uh, so you know. Uh, there's usually a brawl in every damn town because, uh, you know, them guys are trying to protect their territory, you know, so anybody caught sniffing around one of their sweet things and uh, then uh, they were going to be uh, going to be a fight, you know, but uh, because it, almost every week we're 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 fighting, fighting the, the guys and, and romancing their girls, you know, uh, you got kind of seasoned at fighting and you got pretty good at it. So it's so 99 percent of the time the Cowboys won. But uh, anyway, getting back to Dave you know, and a practical joke. So, you know, and, and, and these women, uh, I had uh, somewhere along the line, you know, contracted a, what they call a urinary tract infection. So, you know, you, you're always kind of hoping above all hope that it ain't what you think it is. You just hope that maybe it's a strain, whatever, you know, so um, I kept, uh, you know, I finally went to the doctor at, at the last rodeo of the year in San Francisco, and I called up this urologist and and uh, I said, I need to make an appointment. So he said, yeah, come on in. So when I got up to go, uh, my buddy Dave, he says, uh, where are you going? I said, well, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to the doctor. He said, well, hold on. I'll go with you. I think I might have a, a, an ulcer. So, you know, uh, uh, here I'm going to urologist, you know. So, so anyway, so I said, yeah, so come on along, you know. So 
So when I get in there with the doctor, and of course Dave's waiting out in the waiting room, I go, uh, well, you know, he said, what's going to be the problem? I says, you know, I don't know. I, said, I just, uh, um, you know, I, I got this, you know, it burns when I pee. I don't know, you know, I ride bulls, could be a strain. Who knows what it is, you know. But, uh, you know, he said, well, bend over that table and spread your cheeks, you know. And so, so I bent over the table and spread my cheeks. And I'm going to tell you what, <laughs> you think having a baby is pain. I mean, this guy's felt like he stuck his whole arm up my ass and he went to mashing on this gland and, and I was screaming and hollering and he finally mashed some stuff out of the end of it, put it under a microscope. And he said, hell, you ain't got no strain. You got the clap, you know, I said, oh God. So, so I said, uh, by the way, doc, I said, my buddy out here in the waiting room, he's got the same symptoms as me. So, you know, anyway, so I go out, I, I, I uh, sit down on the couch out there and, and Dave goes in and, and there again, he's kind of gullible. So uh, they go, uh, uh, the doctor says, bend over that table there and spread your cheeks, you know, and he's thinking all the time for an ulcer, you know, but he doesn't say anything, you know, and I'm out there in the, in the waiting room all of a sudden I hear this blood curdling scream, you know, and I, go, I, just, I fall out of the doggone chair just laughing, you know, and uh, so I guess, you know, he's screaming and hollering, he finally got this doctor beat off of him, he goes, since when you go through a man's ass to check him for an ulcer, and he said, well, your buddy out there told me, so, boy, that door come open, and he pointed at me, he said, you son of a bitch, I'll get even with you for this, you know, so, there again, that was, uh, you know, uh, that was the law of the range, you know, when you got, when you got one over on a guy, all he could do was just try to figure out how he's going to get you back, you know, Another real character in my life, and I think that's probably one of the reasons I ended up such a rascal was my dad, you know, because he was, uh, I don't think you, you ever met anyone that uh, was more fun loving and, and, and likable, knew a million jokes, uh, you know, he was just a people person, you know, when he walked into a room, it wasn't very long and every good looking girl in the place was gathered around him, I mean, he was a charmer, you know, and uh, Every year when he got older, he, uh, you know, he used to go to Reno, the Reno Rodeo, and he'd go to Cow Palace, and he'd go to all these different rodeos, and he'd work for Cotton Roster and the Flying New Rodeo Company. And, and at Reno, uh, there was a, a casino called Bonanza Casino, and a guy named Dewey Halfacre run it, and he loved my dad, you know, and, and uh, so he gave him a free room, free food, free booze, whatever he wanted. I mean, it was carte blanche. So, uh, and there again, my dad, he was, he was quite a rascal and, and quite a romancer. So he, uh, you know, he starts, uh, you know, flirting with one of the waitresses and one thing led to another. So uh, she might've been married, might've not, I'm not for sure about that, but uh, it was a real good chance she probably was. And so uh, anyway, so he slips her off after she gets to work, gets in this pickup and he's looking for some ways to go park with her, you know? And so um, he ends up driving into a graveyard, you know, and he's, he's in there. And the cops drive by and they see him in there, you know, and so they pull up behind him, walk up, shine a flash, flash, flashlight in there, and there my dad is high centered on his old gal. And and the, and the cop says, sir, do you realize you're in a public graveyard? And he said, yes, sir, I'm just burying a stiff. <laughs> so anyway, the cop started laughing. He goes, well, what are you going to do? Get the hell out of here. So they go up and, and, and Dewey also give the cops free food and coffee, whatever they wanted up there. So they were up in uh, in this cafe afterwards and Dewey happened to walk by and and one of the guys, uh, he walk, he hears him laughing. So he walks over and says, what's going on, boys? He said, well, he said, we just we went by this graveyard down there and this guy was in there high-centered on this gal. And we asked him, uh, you know, if he realized he's in a public graveyard and he said, yes, sir, just burying a stiff, you know? So, so anyway, so later on that night, you know, after my dad dropped the gal off, he, uh, He'd stopped in there and 
and was having a, a cup of coffee and something to eat. And um, Dewey walks over and he, he says, where you been, Judd? Burying the stiff? He said, God damn, has it made the papers already? You know, so, so anyway, I, I have met so many characters, you know. Uh, another story about my dad in, in Reno was, you know, of course, he liked to go there by himself because he liked to chase the skirts. And, but uh, being married to my mom, uh, she finally harped on him, harped on him. And, and one year he takes her to Reno with him. And, of course, Dewey puts him up at the, at the Bonanza. And uh, me and my wife were staying there. And so anyway, about four in the morning, one morning, she comes over and she goes, have you seen your dad? I said, good God, Dorothy, it's four in the morning. She goes, well, I went over to the bar and they said him and, you know, one of the bullfighters um, went to the Mustang Ranch. And uh, if you don't know much about Reno, the Mustang Ranch is, is a brothel. You know, So my daddy slipped off to the brothel while my mom was in the room. And uh, she said, uh, I went over there and they said he, he went to the Mustang Ranch. She said, why would he be gathering Mustangs at four in the morning? You know, boy, I just I couldn't I couldn't hardly hold it. I was laughing so doggone hard. I said, well, I said, you know, the, the contractor he wants he wants them, he wants them Mustangs there early. So I guess they they, they got to get out there and get them, you know. Just kind of she left. I just I died laughing, you know. But that was just a little bit of the flavor of some of the characters that uh, that we're gonna be talking about on this broadcast. And also, you know, we're going to we're going to be getting different guests that, uh, um, you know, that uh, uh, pertain to, you know, what it takes to win in rodeo. You know, as I've been around this game for years, I had a great career at it. And uh, and, uh, you know, and what I what I teach my students is 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 the mental side of the game, along with 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 the other side. But the mental side being 90 percent of it, because, you know, there again, riding bulls is kind of a metaphor for life, you know, as you. When you go to when you go to bull riding, uh, it's not the bull that uh, that you got to worry about. It's other people's opinion of the bull, and uh, probably ninety five percent of the guys buying the shoots, in my opinion, are you know are, are got a losing attitude. They're beat before they get there, you know. And if if you don't have that bull ridden by the time you climb over that chute, you're you know you're just uh, there's damn near a hundred percent chance you're probably not going to get it getting rode. Um, and there again, uh, you know, that's right between your ears, whether you're going to, whether you're going to win or lose. And the big turnaround come from me when uh, I had been six months out riding a bull. And, uh, you know, I was about to the point where I was about to quit. My wife was pregnant. She was, you know, uh, every day she was saying, when are you going to get a job? When are you, you, know, you going to give up on this damn dream of riding bulls? And, and, uh, and, and, and I, I really didn't know how the mind worked at that time because uh, I had, um, you know, I just, I, 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 once I, I never got on a bull till I was about 20 and I, and it just, I was eat up with it. And I just, uh, it's all I thought about night and day. And I, I think because, uh, I was so, I was so enamored with it. And because I dreamed about it constantly, I did not realize how the mind worked. I was actually programming the mind, uh, you know, for success because, uh, I'd see myself quitting this miserable job I had and, and, and being out there working eight seconds a day and, literally anywhere from northern Canada to the Mexican border, from New York City to the Golden Gate, there's rodeos. And, um, you know, there are uh, big ones, there's small ones. They're, you know, they're usually like a seven to 10 day celebration that goes with it. It kind of goes back to the old uh, fiestas of old. And, uh, you know, so life, when you go into a rodeo town is, is everything is kind of enhanced. Is, is everybody is, is it's, it's merriment time. It's fun, you know, and, and uh, you know, everybody in town is, uh, is, is their excitement and their, their whole level of everything is, is really up, you know, so it's, 
you know, uh, and, and then of course going to be in the rodeo star is, you know, you're the star of the rodeo you're when you do good. And, you know, and it's just like, uh, and then you go to the bar and the girls see you at the rodeo and they just, they love the cowboys and they love that gypsy attitude. And, you know, so it was just, you know, it was, to me, it was just uh, dreaming about it was just, uh, as a great philosopher said, the best state that you can be in is called a state of positive expectancy. When you're dreaming about how good life is going to be when you get to that next destination. For me, my next destination was quitting that miserable job and, and getting out there on the road uh, and winning money. And uh, one of the old timers told me, said, uh, uh, you're going to have to get on about 100 bulls before everything comes at kind of to where it feels at home, because uh, you're going to learn something on every bull you get on, because most everything that's learned is on the right side of the brain and it processes a billion pieces of information and it and it uh, operates at the speed of light. So uh, getting on that side of the mind for me, because I, I think I spent all my time over there anyway, because I was I was constantly daydreaming. And because I was daydreaming and not knowing at the time, I was actually programming myself. And uh, so uh, there was a practice arena, you know, about three and a half hours from me. And I'd drive down there and, and on Saturday and get on five bulls. And on Sunday, I'd get on another five. So that's 10 bulls closer to that hundred, you know. And it took me uh, a year to the, from the time I got on my first bull in May of 1963 to I went ready in California in May of 1964. In uh, July of 1964, uh, as I went to Great Falls, Montana on my vacation, went home, quit my job, and I placed at the next 10 rodeos. And, uh, and then my, my career took off, you know, and I was, I was, you know, what I dreamed about, it was every bit as good as it, uh, as I dreamed about it. By my third year, I'd end up 10th for the world, made my first national finals rodeo. I didn't think I'd ever see another broke day. And um, then my wife, my girlfriend got pregnant. Uh, we had a kid on the way. We got married. Uh, and then for the first time in my life, I started to worry about what will happen if I don't win? What if I'm not able to pay the bills? And, and uh, not knowing how the mind works, you know, whatever you, whatever you worry about, you're actually rehearsing for it to happen. Uh, they call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you keep, you keep thinking about it. You keep worrying about it. It's going to happen. You know, so before all I worried about was how good it was going to be to be out there on the road, how good it was going to be out there to be winning, how to be out there working eight seconds a day instead of 16 hours a day at that miserable job I had without knowing I was really programming. And uh, but here all of a sudden I start to worry and I start to and, and the more I worried, the more I bucked off. And and so I maybe have a, a really good bull draw to bull that uh, I, I probably had no trouble riding before. So. But instead of saying, boy, this is really going to be a fun experience, man, I just can't wait to, to get on him. I can't wait to go to the winter circle. Can't wait to pick up that money. I say, oh, God, good God, what will happen if I, if I freeze up? What if I fall off? What if I buck off? And, and, and this is pretty much a metaphor for everything we do in life. You know, you either, you either think about how good it's going to be or you worry about how bad it's going to be. You know, I, I was in the middle of, 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 of something I didn't understand because I didn't know how the mind worked. And, and, and it just got worse and worse. I just kept bucking off. And the harder I tried, the worse I did. It was even, it was even worse on bulls that were the ones everybody rode. You know, they said, man, you got the one to have. That's the fun one, you know. And, but don't screw him up. Don't screw him up. It's, you know, when, you, when you tell the mind, don't. It don't hear it, don't. It just hears screw up, screw up. So naturally, if somewhere during the ride, what they call self-hypnosis goes, it takes over, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, and your mind actually, you know, causes you to just kind of takes over and, and causes you to buck off 
because that's what you've programmed, you know? And, and it's really frustrating because I went six months without making a dime, without winning anything, working the labor list and everything's, you know, just like, you know, and then my wife's getting bigger, pregnant every day and, you know, it's in get a job, put, give up that dream. And uh, all of a sudden a guy comes in uh, um, to a rodeo that I was working the labor list to, uh, to get enough money, money to pay my fees. And I, I like to jump to make a jump. I mean, the more the gate opened, I fell off. And anyway, this guy was a guy that I'd never seen him win anything, you know, and he was just kind of a gigolo his way down the road, kind of hustled his way down the road. And, and uh, he was able to make his good looking guy and girls that kind of give him money to pay their fees. And he'd kind of true what they call true love him, kind of make out like he's in love with them, but uh, never had seen the guy accomplish a whole lot. Then all of a sudden he comes in, makes a great bull ride and wins the bull ride. And uh, then he's telling me about, you know, like eight or 10 rodeos in a row that he's placed in that good God, what the hell happened to you? Well, anyway, he's in, the, he's in Dallas, Texas, trying to, trying to hawk in a ring that some sugar mama gave him. And uh, she, uh, this self-made millionaire was in there and while his wife was shopping and he was browsing around and he's a rodeo fan. And so he goes over and says, having a little tough luck there, cowboy. And he said, yeah, yeah they think they've been going so good. He said, well, I'll tell you what, he said, I'm a, a, a hypnotist, you know, an amateur hypnotist, but I'd like to do an experiment with you. He said, I'd like to, to um, you know, take you home with me. And for 30 days, I'm gonna hypnotize you. Uh, and then I'm gonna pay for your way down the road, you know? Well, whatever he did to him, I damn sure work. Cause I mean, he was kicking ass and taking names and uh, when uh, we had a few beers after the rodeo and then uh, I stand with him at the holiday inn and he had this, had this uh, book called psycho cybernetics in, uh, you know, in, on the bedstand there. And I say, Hey, what's this book about? And he said, well, that's, that's the book that inspired the millionaire and he wants me to, to read it. I said, well, tell me about it, man. I said, if it done this much for you, I want to know everything about it. You know? So he said, well, you know, hell, I don't read much. He said, if I get this slump, I'll go back and the millionaire rehypnotize me and I'll be off and running. I said, well, let me have that some buck, you know? So uh, while he was asleep that night, I, I read, you know, every chapter I read, I, it was like I was reading a chapter of my life, you know, because all of a sudden for the first time, something that I really think should be taught in kindergarten up is teach people how the mind works, you know, because it'll work for you or it'll work against you. And I just found out, you know, why, how it works against you. Cause I've been six months of, of just frustration and, and, and everything I, the harder I tried, the less I got done, you know, but, you know, going back to the heart of the matter, um, I was actually realized that, you know, from worrying, I was, I was actually programming myself to lose. So then it gave me directions on, you know, how to reprogram my mind, you know, also uh, that book is called self-image psychology. And they said, inside your mind is a blueprint of who you are and what you're capable of achieving. And, um, you know, once that's in place and, and it's pretty much in place from what people have told you and, and, and what, you know, what evaluations you, you've, you've, you've come to you know, with yourself. And, uh, and so, you know, once that self-image is there, you, it'll keep, you know, doing just kind of sabotaging your efforts right when you, you know, you're getting close to, to winning, then boom, it'll sabotage you and take you down because, you know, that self-image says that that ain't you up there. This is you here. Now it is so far below what you're capable of achieving that it's not even close, but once it's in place, 
you got to get rid of it. And the only way that you can get rid of it is you got to rehearse being the new person that you want to be. You know, it's like Shakespeare said, the, the world's the stage and we're the actors. And as actors to, when you research a role, you, uh, you, you study the character that you're playing, and then you got to rehearse that character over and over and over again in your mind to literally become that, that character, you know, and that's, as an actor, that's what actors do. It's called method acting, you know, but in, in role modeling, uh, you know, you take the end result of what you want to do and what you want to be, and you keep running that through there. What that does, that removes that old self-image and it replaces it with a really high self-image. And once you get that self-image up there, I mean, the sky's the limit, you know? So once I read that book, I think the, I think the mistake that most people make about reading books is they read them, they make a lot of sense, but they don't do the exercises in them. Mental exercises are just like physical exercises. You know, you've got to exercise the mind, you've got to program the mind, and that's got to be repetition. It takes a minimum of 21 days, you know, to, to, to change your self-image and to, and to create new habits. So I think probably being as far down as I was, that made me really hungry to, you know, to, to work at whatever it said to do, because that was the light at the end of the tunnel. It was either that or go to work. And I damn sure didn't go to work. I liked that eight seconds a day and it fit me. And, and that's where I wanted to be. So I, uh, you know, I, uh, I literally, I got up at five o'clock every morning. They went through these exercises that make you blow yourself up like you're a balloon, let the air out, you're a piece of string. I mean, uh, they had all these different exercises. And, and um, when a hypnotist hypnotizes you, a state of hypnosis is, is a state of total relaxation. When you totally relax the body and, and the conscious mind, then that opens up the unconscious mind. And, and that's when it's most open to suggestion. So these relaxation exercises allowed me to go over and start programming my conscious mind, which is the right brain or the unconscious side of the mind. And, and to do so, there was a guy by, by the name of George Paul at that time. And, and he, has, he was raised in, on a million acre ranch in Old Mexico. He wasn't Mexican, but he was... Uh, his grandfather bought the big ranch down there and he was raised on it. And to this day, he's, he's still the, the rankest bull rider I've ever seen. You know, he, he, I heard about him when he was in junior rodeo and they said, have you heard about this kid in junior rodeo? I said, why, why should I hear about a kid in junior rodeo? They said, because he's going to be the best there ever was. You know, I said, really? You know, so I've been hearing about this guy. And then we're at the Cow Palace, the last rodeo of the year. It's the first year I made my, my first national finals in 1966. And George Paul come walking down the alleyway. Now, everyone's talking and rattling and going on. And when he come walking by, everybody shut up and turned and watched him walk by. There was so much positive energy radiating out of that guy uh, that you knew he was somebody and, and, and if you'd never seen him before. And I turned to a friend of mine and I said, that's gotta be George Paul. He said, that is. He won the bareback riding and bull riding both that night and went on to ride. I think 79 bulls in a row without getting thrown off. So, you know, Anthony Robbins, a great motivator, says, if you want to be the best in anything, just find the best and copy him. So, they would, you know, luckily for me, George Paul was around. Here was a guy that I was going to copy. So when I did visualization and, and self-hypnosis, I was programming George Paul into my mind. I would, you know, I'd watch him very intently. We didn't have no video cameras then. We didn't have anything to study, but I'd watch George very intently and, and, and study everything that he did. Even his, his mannerism, you know, 
you know, there was a dominance about him when he got on a bull. He was the one that you looked at. Normally, you you looked at a guy on a bull and you and you looked at the bull and he's just jerking the hell out of this guy and just, you know, having his way with him. But totally opposite was George. George, no matter what the bull was, no matter how rank he was, he dominated that bull. And that dominating riding style of his and that and that attitude he had, he was always smiling and, and laughing and but just radiating this positive energy, you know. So I started, you know, I just I, I captured all those those, those pictures and, and videos of him in my mind. And and I just, you know, and I and I watched them every day and I say, that's me, that's me. And when I went to bed tonight, I would I would visualize George Paul and I'd say, that's me. I could do that. That's me. When I get up in the morning, I'd, I'd give my subconscious orders again. I say, that's me. That's George Paul. That's me. That's me. I can do that. I can do that. You know, two months of doing that. Now, now one of the things about going to a rodeo, and I mean, bear again, we're talking about life here. You know, everything you're doing in life, whether you're going into a big interview uh, for a job or your big presentation in business, whatever it is, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to have it. Uh, you know, you got to, you got to be winning before you ever get in there. Uh, there can't be a doubt in your mind, you know, and as Shakespeare said, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we often might win by fearing to attempt. I mean, you won't even try when you don't think you can do it, you know, so rehearsing uh, that, uh, that, that bull, that bull ride and, 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 and seeing yourself doing it as, as a guy that's successful. You know, so watching George do it in my mind's eye over and over and over again, pretty soon I started to feel like George. You know, when I when I, when I walked into a crowd, people will, for the first time would turn and look at me. I never forget when I went to Denver, the first rodeo I went to. I remembered how they how they how they how they everybody stopped and looked at George, and there was a pretty good area behind the chutes there, probably 50, 75 yards. When you walk in the back door, you walk. There's a beer stand on the right. There's a, a Western store. Uh, across from it and then there's a big line where the the runway where the bulls and horses and everything come in and there's everybody with their their bronc saddles bareback riggings you know bull ropes every, all the contestants are out there and then a lot of other people are around girlfriends whatever you know but i never forget walking in that that behind the chutes there wasn't well, really one behind the chutes because there wasn't very much room behind the chutes so it was that big area out there and there was a lot of people there i i could literally it felt like i had a cushion of air under my feet I, I never felt that that alive or that confident. Um, and I remember every head turned and watched me walk by. What was different about me? Why was why was people looking at me where they never looked at me before? You know, it's confidence. When you got confidence, it radiates a positive energy. Doubt, doubt, fear, and anger, worry, jealousy, that all radiates a dark aura, you know. And, and, and you, you want to kind of recede, get away from dark cores, you know, uh, you know, so anyway, that night, uh, you know, I, I watched Bulls Buck because I was up the next night. These were the, the rankest bulls in, in rodeo. And when a guy would buck off, I said, damn, how'd he fall off of him, man? That bull, I could, I ride hair off that some buck, you know, and all of a sudden guys are looking at me going, well, what the hell's with him? Wasn't that same guy that fell off for six months in a row last year? You know, where did that confidence come from? Or uh, why was I, you know, felt like I, you know, I could ride anything. The next night I, I draw a bull in, in the rank pen that had been three years unridden and everyone's talking about, you know, you got him drawn, man, he's, he's too fast. Nobody can stay with him. He's too strong. They tell me all the reasons why I can't ride him, you know, and, and it just went in one ear and out the other because, you know, 
that's what you kind of deal with when you're dealing with bull riding. There's going to be more people telling you why you can't do it than there are telling you why you can do it. And, and ain't that the same way with life? Um, so anyway, it, it just, uh, you know, I, I just kind of smile every time they say that because I know they got a losing attitude and I got a winning attitude and I'm George Paul. I can write anything. You know? So, so taking that George Paul attitude in there, uh, the, the ride I made that night was one of the great rides of my career. And I ended up being one point off the all time record of all the bull rides, you know, in history, I was one point off, off, off the, off the record. Uh, when I went about three months out getting thrown off that year, I ended up runner up to the world's championship behind my, my role model, George Paul, he won the national finals and I went second, you know, I come back the very next year would have ended up second, but, uh, Boy, I just couldn't catch Doug Brown. That Doug Brown, every time I get up on his ass, he'd get hot and take off again, you know. So I went back to California, won my circuit championship, won a buckle, of, you know, $2,500 bonus and a, and a saddle. And uh, so I dropped me a notch in the standings. I ended up third, but at the NFR that year, the last go around, I rode the, the previously unridden bull of the year, uh, made the high mark ride of the, of the, of the national finals. That fired my fuel for the next year. I come back, I write nine out of 10 when I come to the national finals, win the, win the national finals and win the world's championship. So once I set a goal, once I reprogrammed myself, it was just a matter of time till everything, you know, fell in place, you know, and that, that's the way that you, uh, you have to give yourself time when you're, when you're, when you're reprogramming your mind. But once you put the, put the time in and there again, uh, uh, you know, if you find the person that you want to be and you copy them, you know, they're already there, you know? So uh, I, I never forget I, when I was riding this rank bull someplace away from my hand, that always been my weak direction. And I kept studying the way George did it, the way George did it. And all of a sudden I'm riding this bull and I'm thinking, looking over my shoulder, uh, you know, and just thinking the guys back in the sh at the shoot must think I look just like George Paul because I felt just like him. And the first guy that ran up to me said, God, what a, what a cool ride. He said, you look just like George Paul, you know? So there again, uh, you're, you're, you're going to become what you think about, you know, what you program in is going to, it's going to come back. The worst roadblocks out there are actually other people, you know, people often that are close to you are going to discourage you. There again, in, in bull riding, I would say probably 95% of the people behind the shoots don't have a winning attitude. Uh, they're there hoping something will happen. The winner's coming in knowing something's going to happen. And another thing, you got to learn, uh, you know, when I first started out, and, and this is a lot of my stories in, in these podcasts are going to be about the, what some guys we call the brush hands. The brush hands back in those days were, were the guys that, uh, you know, they, they weren't that great of bull riders. But uh, if, if they give a buckle for, for picking up girls, drinking whiskey and partying all night and having fun, uh, they would have, they would have been the all time champs because they were fun. They were, they were, they were always up, but when it come time to ride, they were a little too full of whiskey and a little too hungover and too, a little too short of sleep to make much of a difference in the bull riding world, but they were characters, you know, and, and, uh, and in those days, you know, uh, gas was in range somewhere between 15 and 28 cents. A motel six was $6. And those guys would, sleep, you know, get a motel six and sleep, split the mattress, sleep, sleep ten to a room, you know. So, so it's less, less than a buck a day for your room rent. Uh, they would mount out bulls, you know. If you turned out a bull, uh, you had to pay a turnout fine, uh, and that money went towards whoever, you know, the contractor would get somebody to mount out the bulls. So these guys mount out the bulls. They worked the labor list. 
Um, and then they do a little small time jiggle on for girls to kind of pay their entry fees, kind of do a little of that true love. And, you know, when the oil embargo hit, you know, uh, gas went up, expenses went up and, and those guys, um, you know, they just, uh, you know, you kind of, you lost a part of rodeo. That was some of the, the most memorable part of the rodeo because these guys weren't great riders, but they were great individuals. Uh, they were, man, I tell you what, uh, I got a million stories about them. I will be conveying a lot of them back. When, when they went, it was, uh, you know, it just made rodeo. It wasn't as much fun as it was before. And, uh, and I was a brush hand for a while. I slept in there with tin, tin to a room and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I never did jiggle any girls, but I, you know, I, you know, uh, I, I think there's a, there's a, you know, who you run with is kind of how you act, you know, and if, and uh, you'll find in life uh, that you, you know, to kind of, to make it to that next level in life, you have to leave old friends behind and make new friends because who you run with is kind of, is what you're going to be. Uh, in my case, you know, the brush hands were fun, but uh, they weren't going nowhere. And, I, and, and, and my dreams were, you know, to, to be a great bull rider, to, to win a world championship and, and have a Hall of Fame career. And, and running with those guys, it just wasn't going to happen. So, you know, there again, we talked about the law of attraction. You know, uh, the law of attraction is the dominant, your dominant thoughts are going to attract, you know, negative thoughts are going to bring negativity and, and bad things into your life. Positive thoughts are going to bring good things. You know, it's a universal law of attraction that's been around since the beginning of time. I think, you know, when I first started, because I, I dreamed about, you know, getting out there on the road, making a living, riding bulls and, and just living that, that incredible lifestyle. And I don't think there's been a better one in the history of mankind than, than in those days, because life was cheap, life was easy. And, uh, and it was uh, about as much fun as, as I had dreamed about it, or maybe more, you know. To, oh, getting back to my original story, as, as I come into rodeos, I, as, I, as I place 10 rodeos in a row, and I had an old 53 DeSoto, um, and it had a, a station wagon, and it had a, uh, uh, I'd taken a seat out of it, had a piece of plywood in there, had, had air mattresses so I could sleep in it, save money. Um, but I was making money, doing good. I placed it 10 rodeos in a row, but I started hearing the rod knocking in this car, you know, so when... Uh, when it uh, come into Salina, Kansas, and it was locked so loud, I couldn't even hear. And when I shut the engine off, fire come out of the out of the carburetor, and, and that was the end of that uh, the old '53 DeSoto. And so I caught a ride out the rodeo, went third in the bull ride, and then I was looking for a ride out of there. I, I left 90% of my stuff. I packed light. I was waiting in the hotel lobby, and who come through but the world champion, a 19 year old kid that had, was they called magic ass uh he won it at 19 was one of the great bull riders I've ever seen and the guy that was become one of my best friends a guy named dickie cox that was runner up for the world championship and uh, i asked him i'd catch a ride to the next rodeo with him and they said hell yeah load up kid and uh so not only travel with the rest of that year but traveling with most of the rest of my career so what's the chance of an old kid just cracking out and all of a sudden you're traveling with the two best bull riders out there that's law of attraction that's what your thoughts do. Your thoughts are powerful. They send out, they're like radio, radio beams to the universe that bring good things back to you. So uh, don't be afraid to dream. Don't be afraid to keep them thoughts rolling out there, you know. And, and uh, as the old saying goes, you know, when my, you know, I, every, every morning during my career, as I, as I collected positive thinking thoughts, you know, and I, and I would roll through there every morning and whatever positive thinking quote I was reading, that would be my mantra for the day. You know, and so um, my favorite one of all time was, uh, 
It's called whatever you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe in, and enthusiastically act upon must inevitably come to pass. Now you take that, you know, vividly imagine, you know, I look back to when I started and all I dreamed about was, was being able to quit the miserable job I had. And I was working on uh, the coast of California. It was foggy every day. It was windy every day. And it was that type of fog and wind that you just couldn't dress against. It just, I've been in 50 below weather in Montana and never got as cold as I did, uh, you know, out there at that job. I think it was uh, Mark Twain said the, the coldest winter I ever spent was the summer in San Francisco because that fog comes rolling in there and it's damp and it's cold and it wasn't half as bad as it was where I worked. So um, looking back, I hated that job, you know, but, you know, my dad told me, he said, when you go to work for anybody, if they're getting paying you a dollar, give them $2 worth of work, you know, show up early and stay late because when you make a hand, even if it's something you don't like, that carries over to something that you, you are going to do because a work ethic is the only thing that's going to make it in life. You've got to have a good work ethic. So no matter where it is or what the situation, make a hand. So I showed up early. I stayed late. I worked my ass off out there. But, uh, you know, they, they in fact, I worked so hard that they wanted to promote me and make a boss. I said, no, I'm not going to be here that long. I'm getting close to the point where I'm just about riding bulls good enough to quit. When I, when I uh, see that I am that good, then uh, I'm out of here. So don't worry about being a boss. I'm just, uh, I'm here for a short time, not a long time. And uh, so there again, it's just that law of attraction of constantly dreaming about, you know, where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do, you know, then that set up that law of attraction that attracted in, you know, two of the best bull riders. And, and all of a sudden I'm traveling with these guys and there's a whole different attitude. Life is going to happen that to you. You know, it's uh, you, you, once you realize what that you want to want to be and what you want to do, then you got to kind of find that person that's already there and then start rehearsing in your mind what it looked like, what it feel like, what it tastes like to be there. And you got to do that over and over again. And once you get to a certain point where the mind starts to believe it, magic happens. So anyway, whatever you vividly imagine, it starts in your imagination, ardently desire. I mean, in bull riding, you know, if you don't have a deep desire to, <laughs> for bull riding, I mean, yeah, the ass kickings are going to take you out of it real quick. So, and, and, and no matter how good you get, you're still going to get your butt kicked here and there. And pretty good butt kicking at that. You know, you got that 1800 pound bull and wants to stomp a mud hole in your ass, and then you turn around and stomp it dry. I mean, these some bucks are, you know, they're bred, they're bred to buck and they're bred to, to fight. I mean, they're, uh, you know, but that's, you know, that's why there ain't everybody becomes a bull rider because it's a tough game. So, whatever you vividly imagine, hardly desire, sincerely believe in. Uh, books I read said the only way that you can artificially implant faith or, or confidence into the subconscious mind is through repetition of thought running you know when i was running through that thought of george paul what it feel like to be right like george paul to look like george paul to win like george paul then all of a sudden i become george paul you know just as an actor um let, let me give you a little history about acting as well i was hired to, to teach luke perry for the movie eight seconds to ride bulls they when they call me up they said we i hear that you're the world's best uh, bull riding instructor i said well, i am but i'm expensive <laughs> when, you, when you're dealing with with the hollywood guys you better let them know up front you're gonna cost a little money or they'll squeeze that nickel till the indians ride the buffalo they said well here's the catch you know we got 10 million dollars invested in this movie so we cannot afford to get this actor hurt so we're going to do everything you're going to train him but you can't put him on a bull to train him. can you do that i said hell yeah i can do that 
you know, because actors are trained pretenders. They're pretending they're somebody else. So they're already trained at it. So all I had to do, he was playing the, the legendary Lane Frost who got killed in a, uh, by a bull in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I, every day I had him watch 20 minutes of, 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 of his, of his um, great rides and then just kind of log them into his brain. Every drill that we did, I had him pretend he was Lane Frost. And when it come time when that movie was over, we went out and he got on his first bull. I, the last thing I told him, I said, you're Lane Frost. You know, he nodded his head just like Lane Frost. He come out of the gate just like Lane Frost and made about an 85 point ride. In fact, he, about the last two seconds, he spurred him, stepped off perfectly on his feet and did the little wave like, like Lane did. And, you know, so it blowed everybody away because no one expected an actor that had never been on a bull to be able to ride a bull, you know, especially like one that really bucked. And so it was just uh, reinforced again that, uh, you know, what Shakespeare said, the world is a stage and we are the actors, you know, so rehearse your role. So whatever you vividly imagine, hardly desire, sincerely believe in, you know, uh, that belief comes through repetition of thought must inevitably come to pass. You know, it's like uh, jumping off this building here. You can't see the forces there, but you'll feel them when you hit the ground. Gravity is invisible. So are all the other forces of the universe. When you tap into them, and you get that universal law of attraction and you keep programming and you keep working on at your art. And, and I think one of the great guys of, of rodeo, Freckles Brown, uh, he won the world at 42, at 47 years old, uh, or 46, he is month, month shy of his 47th birthday. He won the national finals. I seen him ride Albuquerque, win Albuquerque in 52. This guy was ageless. But every time I'd ask him about a bull, he'd never tell me anything mechanical because that's, put you on the conscious side of the mind. He would take you to the other side of your mind, which is the right brain. And you say, remember what it felt like when you made that great ride at Salinas, Calgary, Cheyenne, someplace where you really made a great ride before. He said, remember what that felt like? And I said, oh man, I never felt better in my life. He said, well, that's what this is gonna feel like. You know, and there again, feeling, the feeling is, 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 what, is what really programs the mind. So when you go into them, uh, you conjure up them feelings and what it looks like, tastes like, then that programs the mind and the mind works 24 hours a day to make that happen. So not only is it programming you to make you better, but it's also setting up that law of attraction. And remember the great Jim Shoulders used to say, I'd rather be lucky than have a pocket full of, you know, I'd rather have a pocket full of luck than, than skill anytime because you gotta be lucky. And lucky comes from, you know, I, I, I remember there was tons of guys who come up to me when I was the hottest guy on the rodeo circuit. And they say, you are the luckiest son of a child I've ever seen in my life. I said, I am, aren't I? I said, I always wasn't lucky until I learned how to thank. Once I learned to thank right, by not letting negative thoughts and emotions in my mind, then I'm attracting good things all the time. But if I'm constantly complaining and bitching and, and, and putting out bad energy, then good, bad things are going to keep showing up in my life. They just come, they just, and they just keep bombarding you. So you, you, you know, and it ain't easy. It, it ain't easy. You got to learn how to, you got to learn how to control your mind. But once you get there, believe me, it's just a matter of time. You know, your dreams are going to happen. This is Gary LePew, and thank you for being with me. And I will expect it.
Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.